Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Well, good morning, church. Merry Christmas. It's wonderful to worship with you today. I love having Ted here. He was just sitting right here. He just, he just walked off, but glad to have him here. Ted will start working with our youth ministry officially, although he's been working with us really off and on since the summer, but he'll start officially on January 2nd. So come that morning, we're going to bless him. You don't want to miss that. I'm thankful for Michelle and her reflections on the good news birth story of Jesus, and we're going to dive a little bit more deeply into that story this morning. Uh, let me challenge you a couple things. One is that next week, we, we are finishing officially our On the Way series today. We're finishing our study in the book of Mark. But next week, I'm going to use Mark to try to do some equipping for you, and I'm going to challenge you to do something next year in 2022 based on what we talk about next week. So next Sunday, come back and bring a Bible with you, a real like physical Bible. If you have one of those, you may not anymore. Uh, bring a real Bible with you and uh, bring a pen. And we're going to do some teaching next week. It'll feel a little bit different, some forming uh, and prep for something I'm going to challenge you to do in 2022. So don't make your New Year's resolutions until we talk next week. All right. Uh, we had a cool thing happen this morning, Mary Elizabeth and Taylor Bates. Mary Elizabeth was going to be singing up here and she decided to have a baby at 2 a.m. this morning. So she's not here. But we're happy for them. We're happy. Yeah, let me, the, uh, little sweet Ellie Ann is her name. Ellie Ann was born at 2 a.m. this morning, so congrats to her. Hey, I know our college students are back today, and so we are so glad you are back. And I, what I'm going to talk about today, I really have you in mind. Now, I've, I've kind of got everybody in mind, but I'm thinking about our college students and what I know they're going to be pursuing in life are growing up, okay? And so I think it applies to all of us, especially have you in mind, college students. So thanks for being back with us. And, and while you're here, let me say to you, this is your church. I want you to come back here and help us build an even greater ministry to young adults here in this city, life-changing ministry here. So come back and help us. This is your place. We want you here, okay? Well, let's pray as, as we get going this morning. <clears throat> God, I'm thankful for your church right here. I'm thankful for your body, and I'm thankful to be part of it. God, I pray that as we reflect on the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ today, that you would fill us with great joy. I pray, God, that through these ancient words, you would speak to us a word that's just for us this morning. I pray that in the name of Jesus, amen. At Christmas time, we do normally focus on the story of the birth of Jesus, and we're going to talk about that today. But in our series on the gospel of Mark, the good news of Jesus out of Mark, we're at, we've actually come to the end of the story today, which is the resurrection. But I want to show you that those two stories are tied together. And they're, they're tied together with a thread that I think might mean a lot to you. It's meant a lot to me. And so I want to share that with you today. So let's look, let's start in Mark 16. Just a reminder in Mark 15, uh, Jesus uh, is killed on the cross. He dies on that cross. He is buried in a tomb where he stays for three days. And then this is Sunday morning, much like this Sunday morning. We pick up with the women. Mark 16, verse 1. I'm going to read it out of here. <clears throat> when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' dead body. 
Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb and they were saying to each other, who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away and it was a very large stone. And going into the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated on the right side and they were startled. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He isn't here. Look, here's the place where they laid him. Go and tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he's going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. And overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Yesterday, we did our family Christmas. Did a little early because we're traveling this week, and I wanted to transport as few presents as I had to, okay? So we did it a little early. There were no complaints from my kids about this. And uh, we get to this final present that Lindsay and I have saved, and uh, we've been saving it. It's addressed to all the boys, to Brothers Gentry. It's, a, it's addressed to all of them. And so they, they dig into that last of all, and they start digging into it together. And Noble sees the logo on the box. Now, this is, this is something they have wanted for over a year, and we gave them no hope they were ever going to get it. They have wanted this thing for over a year, and Noble is the first to see that logo on the box, and he goes, ha, 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 like this. And then Foster, our middle son, sees it, and he just starts screaming, ah, and he rolls over on the floor, and he's just beating the floor with joy, ah, he says, and Deacon can't tell if they're screaming, you know, out of sadness or joy. He doesn't know. He's just looking back and forth, and he just starts screaming. He doesn't know what's going on. He still doesn't know. He just, just screaming. Oh, it's one of the sweetest moments. They're just screaming with delight. And Lindsay looks at me in that moment. She says, I never want to forget this. And I know what she's talking about. You know, like this morning, just retelling that story and remembering that from yesterday just fills me with kind of a warmth, you know? It just makes my heart full. Uh, I feel what I think is, is joy when I remember that just from yesterday. But the fact that she said, I never want to forget this moment betrays what she knows is that life is going to kind of move along and there are going to be countless things in life that are going to try to steal that feeling she's feeling in that moment. It's going to be hard to hold on to that. You have a memory like that? Something that comes to mind, it just fills you with that kind of warmth. You know, maybe it's a Christmas memory, making those Christmas cookies with your grandma or throwing the ball out with dad on Christmas morning or, you know, maybe some other memory like the birth of of your child, something you think about. You kind of go back to that moment and you're just filled with joy. You just wish you could stay right there, like a dream that you couldn't wake up from, you know. Why is it that life tries to steal that feeling from us and keep us from living in that moment? You know, I, I came across this article the other day. It was written by a woman who was trying to figure out why she had been so sad for the last two years during this season of the pandemic. She went to a therapist to help her process this, and the therapist introduced her to a term he called ambiguous loss, which is the sadness we feel from losing things that we can't even figure out, can't even name. You know, you, you might have a sadness from losing somebody but there's all this, this periphery sadness that goes with losing that person. It's, you don't have that person's hand to hold anymore. That person, they don't take out the trash anymore. They don't, um, 
uh, tuck you into bed at night. There's, there's all these things wrapped around that. And it's not even with the person we lose during this pandemic. We've lost opportunities. We've lost that experience maybe of going to the workplace and being surrounded by friends. It's just this accumulation of losses, losses that you can't even name and describe. And that those losses are like the thief of joy, that they come in and they just rob that feeling from us. And we have this tension between sadness and loss and the joy I want to feel all the time, right? And so that, that brings us back to this story of Mark. And I, I want to show you kind of the tension between those different emotions we have here and, and maybe just kind of point you to one of the sweetest promises of the Word of God in Jesus Christ. Come with me again to, to Mark. And if you've got a, a, a physical Bible and you open up to Mark 16, I don't know if this is in your digital version. You can look at it and you can tell me later. I didn't check all of those. But in your, in your hard your hard Bible, uh, 16, Mark 16, verse 8. Do you have a little note right there? Now, a little note says something like, the earliest manuscripts do not have Mark verses 9 and following. Do you see that? Does you have something like that in your Bible? You see that what I'm talking about right there? Okay, let me just make a quick comment on that. Lindsay's favorite sermons are the sermons where I tell her something she didn't know, okay? When I ask her if we're driving home, how's the sermon? If I didn't do that, she's like, eh. You know, so... <laughs> No, she's not like that. She, so let me tell you something you may not know about Mark 16. This is one of the few places in Scripture where there's actually a kind of a healthy debate about what was there originally. Now, throughout Scripture, there's little debates about a word left out by a scribe like the or a or and, stuff like that. That's, that's kind of all over the place. But this is one of the few places in Scripture where we're really not sure what was there in Mark's original version of the story. And so that shouldn't make you doubt your Bible. That should give you a lot of confidence in your Bible because there are only one or two places where that happens and they tell us where those are, okay? Which goes to show that everything else is about as reliable as it gets. There's no document as credible and reliable as this one, okay? All right, but what that means is that, you know, you, you kind of got to decide as a preacher if you're going to touch verses 9 and following, and as you skim through there, you might see there's some really interesting verses in there about like um, handling snakes and stuff like that. Well, fortunately, uh, I'm not going to have to touch that, uh, just like I'm not going to touch snakes, because I don't think it was there in the original, okay? Um, and so most scholars think it probably ended at verse 8, Mark did. Which means a couple things. Mark ends his gospel with the women who have learned about the risen Jesus, and they are scared and quiet. They're scared and quiet. Now, people who have thought about this thought one of a couple things happened. One, Mark was um, what one scholar called a postmodern genius who kind of ends the gospel in an incomplete way, inviting you, the reader, to finish it yourself, to kind of finish the story of Jesus in your own life and the resurrected Jesus. Maybe so. I, I don't know that. Other people think that Mark was pretty sure that what the resurrection meant for us was already being explained by people like Paul and his letters and by the early church, and that's true. Paul's letters were already circulating by this point, and so he felt like what Paul hadn't done was tell the Jesus story up to the resurrection. He had talked a lot about the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection, and so I just need to tell the story up to that point, and I can stop. Or, or Mark just didn't know how to end it. And he gets to this resurrection of Jesus, this has never happened before, and he doesn't really know what else to say about it. I don't think it's that, but I think that's what Matthew and Luke think. Because look at this. Matthew tells the exact same story of the women 
who encounter the risen Jesus. And I want you to pay attention to what he adds. So in Mark's version, they're, they're scared and quiet. And this is what Matthew adds in his version. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and what? Great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples so they're not quiet. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, go to Galilee and there they will see me. Yeah, Matthew says, yeah, the women were afraid. Mark was right about that. But what Mark leaves out is that they were also filled with great joy. Now, they weren't just scared. They were filled with the greatest joy. How many of you have seen that um, animated movie Inside Out? Have any of you seen this? Yeah. It tells the story of Riley, who's this 11-year-old girl. And Riley has these emotions in her, her mind and her control center is what it's called. And each one is a character. So there's joy, but there's also fear and disgust and sadness. And the movie is about joy trying to keep all those other emotions from ruining Riley's life. Okay. Joy is trying to like stay in the driver's seat and, and, and keep Riley on the, the joy track. Okay. And I think about these women, and I, th I think about that tension between these characters because these women were certainly afraid. I mean, they've just seen a man risen from the dead after being dead three days. I mean, that's worth being fearful of. But what Matthew says is, yeah, they were afraid, but there was, there was also this great joy. And at that moment, the joy moved into the control center, right? It moved in front of that fear and sadness and panic. It moved in front and it takes over. And the women's lives become dictated by this great joy and not fear and sadness. Ambrose Redmond is, is an author I like, and he said that courage isn't the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. Something else is more important. I think that's what happens for these women, that at that, at that moment, yeah, they're afraid, but Matthew says joy was more important. All right, so, so, so for people who feel that same tension in our own lives between fear and sadness and loss and joy, pay attention right here. Because Matthew is saying there's something about this man, Jesus, that for the women who encountered him allowed in their hearts and minds joy to take over. Pay attention to that. Here's the thing. Joy is apparently a big part of the Christian life. Did you know that that word joy is used 200 times in your Bible? 200 times. So how many of you have an uncle grumpy? Does anybody else have an uncle like that? Doesn't everybody have that uncle? Okay, apparently he's missing out on something. Right, because the story of Jesus is a story of joy. But that word joy is used 200 times, but there's only a handful of times where this phrase great joy is used. And so it's used by Matthew and Luke when they describe how people feel when they saw the risen Jesus. And it's also used when they describe how people feel when they saw baby Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Let me take you back to the beginning of this story. This is at the beginning when the, shepherd, when the angel appears to the shepherds. And this is what he says. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great, what? Joy. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
You know, we've been in this series on um, the good news of Jesus for over a year. Been telling the Jesus story, and I think what what Mark, but also Matthew and Luke and John, the reason that they tell the story from beginning to end is so that you would have joy. Think about that. There are certainly promises about heaven and our forever life. I don't want to diminish that. That is so significant. I glory in that. And that is throughout all the gospel stories. You need to surrender your life to this man, Jesus, so that you might have life everlasting. But the promise isn't only for life everlasting. The promise is for right now that in this story is great joy for you now. He says, great joy for you now. I think so many people, and I'm thinking about our college students who are home right now who are going to be facing this pressure. So many people spend their lives chasing pleasure instead of joy. to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>